So if you do want to go to the newcomer party and you don't want to brave the crowd in the back by the welcome center, you can scan this with the smartphone. You get a QR reader. They're free. And you can scan that. It'll take you to a page where you can sign up with your smartphone this morning if you wanted to go to the newcomer party. I'm going to warn you up front. Uh, I had a tri-tip sandwich already. I, I, I wasn't going to have one until we were done. I normally don't eat until we're done with Sunday mornings because when you eat, you kind of crash a little bit. So I was walking through back there, and one of the guys doing the sandwiches goes, boom, and I go, all right. So if I, if I crash during the middle of the sermon, I'm so sorry. It's coming. I can tell. I'll be like, oh, I ate. Uh, let's go to sleep now. Okay, so I had someone else ask me about this too. This is my Angry Birds band-aid I'm sporting this morning. Anybody have like a screw gun? Real man, right? You got birds. Okay, so the four of us that have screw guns, okay. Whatever. Uh, I'm out bagging them, and you know this. And mine's a hammer uh, drill screw gun, so it's all... Anyway, so I... It's real manly, that's right. Okay, so 18 volts. Anyway, so I got this screw, and I'm, and I'm, I'm screwing this thing in, and it's goes... And it slipped off of it and went into my finger, and I'm... Because apparently I'm not quick enough to stop when I'm drilling my finger with a drill. Oh, what's going on? Well, and, I, and my wife's a nurse, but I can't stitch it or anything, so I just kind of mashed up all the good parts in there. If you're squeamish, I'm really sorry about this, but it was seriously, it was like just gushing, just flowing blood, and I'm like, that is sweet. <laughs> so anyway, it's like four days ago, but I'm still sporting the band-aid, so that's my Angry Bird band-aid if you're wearing it at all. Welcome to Element if you're new. I'm squeamish. I'm never coming back to that church. Whatever. Okay. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you download an app. It's called Version. Click on Live in that, and it'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll probably see something that says Between the Pieces, and that will be all the notes and the verses and stuff that go along with this morning's message. Um, our decor, just in, if you are new, the decor in the room is meant to feel like you're in a tent. Uh, that's the whole idea of covenant and relationships, kind of in the tent. I hate camping, but I, I dig this, so whatever. And then lastly, before we start, is Friday night, we are back to our film and theology, 6, uh, 6 p.m. We're doing Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Okay, seriously, I just waited to hear it because second service, I said that, and someone went, oh! and I was like, sweet. It is. It's the best one of the Mission Impossible movies, by the way. So we're going to be watching that. We'll talk about it. We, about 10 minutes beforehand, we tell you some trivia, some stuff to look for in the movie, and then we talk about 15, 20 minutes afterwards just so we can understand what the writer and the directors are trying to accomplish in it, but how also the gospel can relate, and we can speak that into what's being said as well. Why don't you stand with me? Read into God's Word. This is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would also be a people who trust you and have faith in you, and that that is, that is then counted to us as righteousness that you bestow and lay upon your people. We thank you for being a God that loves us the way that you do, that gives righteousness to us as a gift. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Genesis week 25. If you have a Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, basically God speaks, creation leaps to obey the things God has said, and it comes into existence. You get to chapter 3, 
human beings start running around, and unlike creation, we disobey. This is kind of the pattern that goes along throughout the first few chapters of Genesis. You finally get to Genesis chapter 12. You reach a guy named Abraham. Abraham hears, and he actually obeys the things that God says. Very sporadically, he follows a whole lot, but he does. This is very unlike Adam and Eve, who didn't trust God and ran the opposite direction of what he called. And this becomes the basis of covenant, that God extends himself to Abraham, and Abraham responds in that. It's God's promise of relationship. And there is a question that you and I all subconsciously ask all the time about people and relationships. And that question is, are these other people trustworthy? We do this in every relationship that we come a part of, whether it's new or whether it's old. We have to trust people. And if you're uh, a teenager, are you going to trust your parents? If you're parents, you're going to trust your teenager. The answer is no, by the way. You just... <laughs> You know, if, you, if you're going to work for a new job, you got to, do you trust the boss? Uh, it, I, I know somebody who, somebody said to them, come and work for us for two years. You're not going to get paid very much, but at two years, we're going to give you a large bump in salary, and you're going to get all this stuff, but I need the two years out of you to basically get to that point. And so my friend has to think, uh, is the, are they trustworthy? Are they going to follow through in two years and go, oh, sorry, we didn't reach our goals? you just got to live in that shack the rest of your life. You know, you've got to figure out, are they trustworthy? Um, we, we all judge to see if someone is trustworthy or not, because what do people do who are trustworthy? They follow through on what they say. People also ask this about God. Uh, when I was writing this message, I got an email from somebody checking out Element for the first time, and this is what they said. This is my first time here. I recently moved here, and I'm trying to find a new church home where I can continue to figure out who God is and if I want him in my life. Now, if you know me, I'm, I'm kind of type A, and I'm all theology and weird that way. And I first read this, and I was all irritated, because I'm like, if you want him in your life, like, he's got nothing better to do than to sit around and wait for you? Really? It's not about you. It's about God. Ah. But then I, then I took a deep breath, and chill pill, and I drank some water, and I went back, and I read it again. And I started to think, it actually sounds like this person's probably been hurt somewhere. And these are questions of trust. The question is, is God trustworthy? So far in Genesis, you see Adam didn't believe that God was going to be trustworthy enough to follow him. But Abraham does. Even with all of his quirks, stuff he says, yes, God is trustworthy. And that's the question for you and I. Do we believe that God is actually trustworthy? If God makes a promise, is he going to keep it? This is the whole premise of Genesis 15. It's about God and his promises and his surety to fulfill those promises. So in Genesis 15, it happens right after Genesis 14 because numbers work like that. But Genesis 14, Abraham wins a great victory, rescued some knuckleheads, didn't take any plunder for himself, and he knows that God is the one who rescued and did everything in this. So chapter 15, verse 1 says, after these things, meaning the things that happened in chapter 14. If you missed it, listen to the last two weeks. You'll get it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, i got to stop you right here just so you understand where we're at. There are lots of crazy people that run around today thinking that God's given them visions all the time, and they're prophets, and they're doing all these things. Now, Abraham, the reason why God does this is that Abraham doesn't have the scriptures. So God has to reveal himself in this way. I think a lot of people today who run around thinking they're getting visions like every single day, all the time, claiming they're prophets, I think they take a Rolaids and go to bed and then sleep off the chili dog they ate for lunch, right? Because it's not necessarily God. I mean, the difference here is Abraham is a prophet. Abraham speaks about God. God does reveal himself again because Abraham doesn't have the scriptures. 221 times in the scriptures, it says about the prophets that the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. It refers to God revealing himself, not us manipulating God and coming up with a horoscope. Scripture shows that God speaks through creation, through conscience, sometimes through our dreams, through his word, through his spirit. And this doesn't mean that he speaks to every way, everybody, every way, all the time, all the same. It's not like God is a junior high girl with a limited cell phone and it's just, hey, everybody, what's up? I'm just, God, what's going on? I just think, oh, what are you going to do with it? That's, that's not what God is. 
is, is like. God speaks to us whenever way is most effective. And don't think that every dream you have is spiritual. It's not. It could be the bacon-wrapped sushi you had for lunch or the tri-tip sandwich you're going to hopefully have in just a little bit. could be that. I mean, if it's like you and the Hulk and Justin Bieber and you're like, you know, coordinating traffic for SpongeBob, you know, it, just go back to bed, sleep it off, you'll be okay in the morning. God speaks to us the way it's most clear, and most clearly this is typically in the scriptures. This is why he gave us the scriptures. Again, Abraham doesn't have this, so God shows up. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. And I love this, because when the real God shows up, it's not all fluffy bunnies and, and all cotton candy. God shows up and is like, holy cow, that's God. So God's going to start out, I freaked him out again, fear not. This is any time you get the nativity stories. What do the angels say when they show up? Fear not, because they're like, bam, and there's the glory of God. And they're like, oops, you know, and so they've got to pull it out there. Fear not. It's, this, this is great. And I'll tell you this. When we respect and honor God first and foremost, this means that we don't have to fear anyone or anything else. The sad thing is most of the time in our lives, we fear what everybody else is going to think, what everybody else is going to say more than we care about what God thinks. I'll tell you, many times for a lot of young people coming here, they're, they're looking to get married at some point in their lives. This will go especially to who you date. Most importantly, where you pick up your dates. It's like, I'm always hanging out at the bar. Why can't I find any good women? Okay, you know, one plus one is, you know, what do you do alone with your dates? You know, what do you, what do you watch with your dates? How do you treat your date? This goes to all of our lives with everybody, but, you know, especially in these things. God says in all these things you honor him. The amazing thing was that Abraham actually did. So God makes a promise. It's two-parter. He says, number one, I am your shield. Now, Abraham had just won a war. God says you won because I am your shield. I mean, God is and was Abraham's and our protector and defender. This idea is throughout poetic form all throughout the Old Testament. Nineteen times in the book of Psalms alone, it says this. Psalm 115, verse 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Psalm 144, verse 2. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. Scripture has this idea that if a curtain was pulled back, you could probably see the shield that's around you and I. I mean, don't, don't think all this present darkness or things like that. But the simple truth is that God does cover and God defends us. And sometimes God allows things into that shield to grow us up, like in the book of Job. It can be painful, but you and I are covered. I mean, Abraham, at this point, he's an old guy. He's just won a victory. And these defeated kings could turn around. They could want vengeance. They could regroup. They could want to kill him. So God says, I will keep you safe. You can trust me. I will be your shield. And he says, your reward shall be very great now in chapter 14 abraham didn't take any plunder and so the material reward that he let go of and god says i will give you a recompense of a different kind even though it's still just on the distant horizon but abraham trusts god god essentially says abraham what you get is you get me god was his reward this means you can be poor sick lost and be rich indeed because god is our reward and so how much do we actually treasure that god is for us that god actually cares about us that god always looks out for us we can be rich indeed these are great truths about god's character so what abraham does now for the first time is he actually speaks back to god in the book of genesis and when he does he questions god god has made promises of land and children you will be a blessing now he's seen himself begin to be a blessing but it's been many years and he doesn't have land and doesn't have children yet 
Abraham left everything, all of his family ties, not the TV show, right, but all of his family ties, and he's now a wanderer in a strange land. He does this to be in obedience to a God he had just met. And it will take Abraham 25 years to get the promised son that God has said to him. And I'll tell you, God may seem slow, but God is always right on time. But sometimes when God is slow like this, we begin to have doubts and wonder, where is... Anybody ever have doubts? Anybody? Right, okay, most of us, right? Good. There's a big distinction, though, between doubt and unbelief. Abraham doubts. Doubt is you have a question you're seeking a resolution to because you want to serve God better. So you struggle to understand what God is doing. Sometimes this becomes the basis of relationship with God. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I want to serve you and listen to you. This is righteous. Do we at Element have doubts? Yes, we, we have lots of doubts. We're constantly second-guessing because we want to honor God better. Where we will move, if we move, when we move, what's going to take to move. Uh, the GCs that we have, you know, what we want them to go through, how we want to grow them, what we want them to learn and disciple in those. The choice of me preaching to you every single week. Sometimes it's a big doubt that we have because we don't know. Boy, you're just as bad a crowd as second service right now. That's what I'm Doubt is not unbelief, though. Doubt is because we are so very small and God is so very big and so very good and we want to honor and glorify him the best way we can. Now, unbelief, on the other hand, is when you simply say, God, you are not good. Or if there is a God, he's not good. Unbelief will make ourselves the center of the universe. Many times humanity does this because we don't want to follow through on what God has said. We don't want to obey him. We don't want to come to some resolution about something. Unbelief is simply unrighteous. Faith is big enough for doubts. It really is, but not unbelief. A person of sincere faith can have sincere doubts, where unbelief just denies God. Honestly, I will tell you, there are some things in your lives that God will never give you the answer to, and that is simply because He is good, and that is why. You know, sometimes we need to trust. Doubt and faith can work together to build a more mature faith. This is Abraham's doubt. Verse 2, But Abraham said, O Lord God, and this is the first time this wording is used in the book of Genesis. It's rarely used in the Torah. It's in the middle of his prayer and complaint and request. It is Adonai Yahweh. It literally means, O Sovereign Lord. Abraham's not disrespecting God. He's saying, God, I trust you. No one can thwart your plan. No one is higher or greater than you. For you and I, if God isn't sovereign, then our faith is foolish and abraham says god i'm going to ask you some things and i know that you can do all things i mean you can promise i can trust it but i just have some questions here so oh lord god what will you give me for i continue childless and the heir of my house is eliezer of damascus and abraham said behold you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir so abraham questions god you promised me a son i don't have one my old my wife is old she is barren i'm really old i don't see it happening I'm going to have to give all I have to my next of kin. He's in doubt. He's seeking understanding. He wants to know God's plan. Verse 4. And behold, and another great word in the Hebrew. It's like a kid learning how to drive a stick. I know. I'm stopping every two words here. And behold. This is the Hebrew word hene. It's like slow down. Don't get ahead of yourself. Stop freaking out. It's a great word. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Put on the brakes. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God said, I told you I will give you a son. And you know what? You are going to have a son. I'm not going to give you a goat or a monkey or a nephew or a daughter, but a son who leads to a son, leads to a son, leads to a son that leads to my son, Jesus. The promise here is Jesus. And this encounter happens at night. And so what happens is God takes Abraham outside, tells him to look up. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, what's he talking about? If Abraham's wife hears this, she's like, oh, no, think of the stretch marks. That's a whole lot of kids I'm going to have. What's, what's up with that? 
No. What, what he's talking about is you and I. I don't even think he's talking about the nation of Israel. I think he's talking about you and I. In Galatians 3.14, it says that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. This is about us, you and I. Today on earth, over one billion people claim the name of Jesus Christ. It starts with one man and his barren wife trusting God. And Jesus comes and all nations of the earth are blessed through him. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus, a religious leader. He says, you must be born again. This is what's called new birth. Through new birth, spiritual birth, we become children of this promise. In John chapter 8, the Jews are arguing with Jesus. And they say, you know, we're the children of Abraham. It's by birth. And Jesus essentially says, no, if you were children of Abraham, you would worship me. New birth is spiritual. You don't spend eternity with God because of what family you're born into. It's what God has done in you. It's who we know. It's Jesus. And God says, Abraham, trust me. This is how many people are depending on your son. And you will have one that will lead to my son. So after God's declaration, uh, Abraham responds like we all should. When God does something, we should respond to what God has done. This is how the scriptures hinge. God does something, we respond. This is why at Element, what we do after the message is we do the majority of music, we do communion, prayer, giving. We have you guys get together in fellowship. It's all after the message. It's a response to what God is doing in his people. That's why we do it. God speaks, we respond. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord. That is simple, but it is everything right there everything if you don't trust god who are you going to trust i mean do you cling to god's promises and trust him that god is for you that he loves you that god wants the best for you all of our problems most in our lives can come down to the issue of unbelief where we step away from trusting what god has truly called us to we must believe that god is good that god is trustworthy that god loves us because it is not sight that leads to faith it is faith that leads to sight we must first trust then you eventually see as god sees I mean, Abraham didn't even see this in his lifetime. You go all the way to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. This is what it says about this. It says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. They're like, he's old. He's on the precipice. He's ready to fall over into the grave. He's an old man. They know this. And him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. See, the essence of faith is trusting the word of God and trusting the God of the word. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now next week, not to freak you out, but we're going to spend all morning on that verse. We're going to go through all through the scriptures and some history stuff about how that verse changed the course of all human history and what that actually means. This is the idea that how do we become righteous? We trust God. We believe in Jesus. And then in this righteousness, obedience, and acting on God's promises come out on the other side of that. Let me ask you a question. Are you saved by works? Yes, you are. Whose works are you saved by? Jesus' works. We are saved by works, but it's not our own. Jesus does the work. We reap the benefits. We are saved that way. He changes us. He puts us in a new family, Abraham's family, and we become heirs of this promise. Jesus' works done for us. Abraham has faith. God continues. And he said to him, this is God, I am the Lord. Awesome. Two great facts that you need to understand. There is a God, and number two, you are not him. 
Our lives will go so much better when we get that one down right there. This is how theology gets so screwed up. We make ourselves God and the true God. We turn to something really small. We can push him around. We can do what he wants. We say things like, well, God wouldn't do that because I wouldn't do that. Really? That's why God wouldn't do something? That, that's what God's like? And then we go so far as to start saying all these stupid things. Or are you sick? You need more faith. You need more money? Whack God. He's a big pinata in the sky. Just tell, tell him what you want. Call on God. You want fame? You want power? Praise Jesus. He'll give it to you. But you're not here for you. We are not here for us. We're here for his glory. And then when we give him glory, he brings joy to his people. Faith is faith in him. And it's not faith in faith. It is faith in the person of him. And God is like a good father. I heard a guy talking about these verses. And sometimes about how a good father says no. And it's at Christmas time and he has a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And they come up to him and the five-year-old says, I want a car and he wants a gun. Right? Now, now as a father, what's the answer to that? No, right? At five years old, you don't get a vehicle, and a three-year-old does not get a weapon. That's not how this, this household works, by the way. And, but, you know, oh, you don't love me. I really wanted this thing. Really? No, the answer is no. God's like a good dad. Sometimes I will talk to some of you, and you're dating somebody. You're really into them. Oh, you know, this is who it is. I'm going to marry this person. God is set, and all of a sudden, you break up. Then you're like, oh, what's God doing? Why is God so mean? I think God's saying, trust me. You don't want to marry them. You know, you can't afford the therapy or the medication. And, and he's a good God. And so that's why we trust him, because he's good. So God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans. You're in Babylon. It's a terrible place. The Rolling Stones named Alvin after it. It's terrible. So I'm a good God. I brought you out of that to give you this land to possess. So God says, I did this. You can trust me. Abraham questions again. Verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, again, very respectful. How am I to know that I shall possess it? This goes all the way to verse 13 where God makes these promises and God says, know for certain. Playing off Abraham's can I know, God says, you can know for certain because I am God. So God is gracious. He responds. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old so it's not a baby cow. A female goat, three years old, so it's full grown. A ram, three years old, so it's fully mature. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. So God is going to contract a solemn covenant with Abraham. This is by visible decree. The Hebrew term for covenant making literally means to cut a covenant, to cut a covenant. And so in this symbolic event, I think it's pushing all the way forward for us to understand the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Well, you understand that in just a moment when we get there. But here, there is no sprinkling of blood. The animals aren't eaten or burned. This is something unique. It's a sacrifice. Verse 10, and he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, meaning they're, they're facing each other like this. And I don't know how a dude of 75, 85 years old cuts animals in half like a big old cow. I don't, cow saw. It, it, I mean, I don't know what that happens, but somehow he did it. <laughs> Old dude, very strong, apparently. Uh, but he did not cut the birds in half because they're probably too small, so he lays those against each other. Then it says this, When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So Abraham has this vision at night. And God says, so bring these things out. So animal, Abraham one, runs out and he cuts these things, puts them all there. And then what happens? He waits. We know this because the birds come out. He's got ch- this means all for the next day, he had to sit there and wait. So God says, do this. I'm done. Now what? Now you get to wait. You get to sit there. He waits the whole next day. But this is the covenant. This becomes the ceremony where God is declaring his covenant with Abraham and eventually to all of us that Jesus is coming and that these blessings and promises are all going to be fulfilled in him. In the ancient world, a covenant, one person would pledge to another by visible decree. 
And this idea of the cutting of these pieces, Israel even did this, where they were coming before God to do certain things. They would take a calf and they'd cut it in half and they'd walk through the pieces saying, if we don't follow through, this is what you can do. In the book of Jeremiah, God is sick with Israel. They think they're better than everybody else. God brings the king of Babylon in to conquer them because Israel has slaves and they were once a people who were in slavery in Egypt. They come out, they have their own country. What do they do? They make slaves. God says, I don't like that. You need to stop that. And so he said, God says, I'm going to bring this in. So they repent and they say, oh, well, let everybody go spare us, spare us. And they make this type of covenant with God. They walk through these pieces and say, we'll release our brothers. And so they get a little bit of breathing room. The crisis seems to be over. Then they change their minds. And they say, oh, we're not going to release anybody. Ha, ha, ha. So Jeremiah 34, 17 through 20, God says this, You have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, freedom, everyone to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, and this is God making it funny here, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword. You haven't given people liberty? I'll give you liberty. To the sword, to pestilence, to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And the men who transgressed my covenant did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me. So they did this with him. I will make them like the calf that they cut into and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. God takes covenant very, very seriously. Chapter 15, verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, this also echoes all the way back to Abraham, Adam when God is going to make Eve and puts him to sleep to pull out a rib out of his side. gets very sleepy. And I think this is because the next line says, And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him, meaning that God showed up. So I think what God does is he like slips Abram a valium before he shows up. So he doesn't like, ah! He's like, boom. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that kind of thing. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain, going back to Abraham, how can I know? Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possession. So God says, I'm bringing my promise about, don't freak out because it's going to be a while, but it's coming. I mean, 400 years, Abraham's got to be like, I know I'm old, but at that point, I'm going to be too old to mow the promised land because 400 years is a long way off with this. And this is the whole idea that sometimes God makes promises, and these promises are going to be fulfilled in your children or your great-grandchildren. It's just God says you need to be patient and trust me, I will take care of these things. God is never slow. He is always patient. The end of Genesis, 70 some odd people go into Egypt. In the book of Exodus, over a million come back out with great wealth, just as God promised. And they don't even get the promised land in Exodus. They don't get it all the way to the book of Joshua. Moses, the writer of the Torah, the first five books, doesn't even get the promised land. But he trusted God because God knows the future. Sometimes people say, well, I don't think God knows the future. Really? He talks about it an awful lot from if he doesn't really know it. He talks about it all the time in the scriptures. We need to be a people who are not like Adam and Eve who think that, you know, God's holding something back from me. He must not be very good. God is good. And this is why he does what he does and why he has patience. And here he is very good. God says to Abraham, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. That's very nice. And then he says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Again, another prophecy. Now, here's the covenant. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And you're thinking, well, that's a little odd. Like, ooh, here comes the floaty things in the air. What, what, what is that? Smoke and fire are used throughout the Old Testament to represent the person of God. Exodus 19, 19, Exodus 20, verse 15, Isaiah 4, verse 5, Isaiah 31, verse 9. 
those who participate in this covenant walk through the pieces that says this is what will happen if we do not follow through. Does Abraham pass to the pieces? No. Abraham doesn't pass to the pieces. Only God does. This means that God is making a covenant. He will fulfill his promises no matter what. That God obligates himself to Abraham and those who follow Christ no matter what. This is what's called an unconditional covenant. God says, no matter what, I am going to save sinners. And years later, Jesus Christ, son of God, son of Abraham, comes and walks through the pieces. This is humbling. In a covenant, usually a weaker party will pledge themselves to a more powerful party, as in Jeremiah. But here, God pledges himself to his own covenant because mankind has nothing to offer. See, we don't understand covenant. Today, we're all about contracts and warranties. In a covenant, one person pledges to another by visible decree. God says, Abraham, I will fulfill what I said, even if it takes me being slaughtered like these animals. And is this what eventually happens? Yes, this is exactly what happens. God is foreshadowing Christ's death. The whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament showed that God would do this to save us. God is committing himself to death to fill his words. That is extraordinary. You will get a son that will lead to a son that will lead to Jesus. You will get land. Abraham, how can I know this is going to be true? God says, I will commit myself to death. To make sure this happens. And Jesus becomes a man. He dies a bloody, brutal death to bring about the terms of the covenant given to Abraham to bless all nations of the earth. Covenant is about devotion. My wife and I, we are in covenant. Jesus and I, we are in covenant, yet I am so unworthy in it. I mean, can you imagine God saying that he was committing himself to death so his love can be shared with you? I mean, it's just staggering. And then he actually does it. And yet, for some reason today, we treat this as being so small. Oh, Jesus died for your sins. I can go do whatever I want to do. Seriously? I mean, this covenant is deep. It should be defended. Like Abraham chases off the birds that try to come down on these carcasses. We need to defend our covenant with God because God is way more serious about devotion and affection and love than we ever could be. God. This is what it says. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and Jebusites. I know there's a lot of ites. It's like, what's going on with, with all that? Essentially, these are the boundaries that would coincide with the land of Eden. And you go to the book of Revelation, it speaks about new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. This is the whole idea that God is saying, I am going to redeem, I am going to restore, I'm going to put all things back together again. This is God's promise. And you and I become spiritual offspring and descendants of Abraham and brought into this family that God has promised. It's really amazing. God says, I am your shield, I'm your reward, I'm going to send Jesus, a kingdom is coming. He will have a son. It's going to lead to my son who will take upon himself the breaking of covenant, which is death, and he will be a substitute for people. They will have relationship with me. And three days later, he will rise from the dead and be a shield over his people, and he will be their great reward and their highest treasure. This is the covenant that God has called us to believe in Jesus Christ, to worship him, to honor him, to love him, and to understand that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and that we are all covenant breakers, and yet Jesus comes and trades himself for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the crux of the gospel. This is something that Abraham all only waited for. What's going to happen? We know full well what he did because we are a people who have been saved by his gracious gift. This is foreshadowing the new covenant in Jesus Christ, a covenant made with people so that you and I 
can worship him in freedom and truth and grace and that God's putting all things back together again. The Lord of the Lord comes to Abraham and he responds. God has come to you and I. The question then is how do we respond? I think one of the ways that we respond is by gathering together as a people. Every week we do this. We worship him corporately as a people. And more importantly, we live for him outside these walls, living out this whole idea that our God came to rescue and redeem and save people. This is what brings us to communion. Communion is where you break that cracker like his body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. You remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So we can be inheritors of this covenant. This is what Jesus did to rescue and save people in his unconditional covenant that says, I will save sinners. And is God trustworthy? Of course he is, because he followed through on what he said. A band's going to come up. They'll do a couple songs. And as they do, when you invite you to take communion, if you, uh, sometimes when I talk about stuff like this, if you really run through this, it's kind of deep and heady a little bit. Uh, this is actually, if you come to a gospel class this week, we're going to go over this again, because <laughs> this is the whole idea of salvation in that. And so you ask questions there. If, if you have any questions, we have actually an email address called questions at ourelement.org. You can send any questions you have about any message ever to us. We'll answer them, do a video blog, and you'll get to actually watch it. Sometimes I'm wearing a beanie and my dog's running around with a ball behind me being crazy, but you'll get to see it. And be like, stop chasing that ball around, kind of thing. Um, but we do. We, we want to make sure that you guys understand this. I mean, it, it's not like you've got to understand every nuance of the gospel to be saved. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying it, it, it helps us to understand the graciousness of our God better by understanding what he's done. And so if you need prayer, there's some deacons and elders in the back. And if you would like to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ this morning, today's a great day. To do that, they'd love to talk to you, answer any questions that you might have, because the whole point of all of this is pointing to Jesus Christ, the one who would come and walk through the pieces and save all of us. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side of the wall. We give because God gave so much to us, so giving is simply part of our worship. So again, it's a response to what he's done. And there's some food and stuff in the back. And if you've got a tri-tip ticket, yay! To right outside there. And I didn't eat yours, I promise. I only ate mine. And it's very, very good. So, really good. So much so, I'm like ready to crash. So, <laughs> um, God is good. And I will tell you this too, that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he didn't just take away what separated us from God. He took away what separated us from each other. And that means that we can have a relationship not only with God, but with each other again. And so, part of that, and that's why we try and get you guys together all the time. Restoring the relationships as God always intended, because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we, as your people, would understand the graciousness of your covenant. And that Jesus came to save us because we could never save ourselves. And that you committed yourself to walk through these pieces, foreshadowing the new covenant and the hope of all nations in you as our God. Father, I ask that, that we would have this deep abiding peace that you have promised to us And we could say that it is well with our souls because you have made it well with our souls. That you, as the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth, have moved everything to come and save us. So have us live in a response to that that shows what the gospel truly is by how we live our lives. And that you would gain glory and honor not only by all that you have done, but all that we as your children continue to do, honoring you as our great God. 
We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.